welcome, welcome to a new episode of Moose Mike. Today, me, Arthur, Rodrigo, hey, and Stafford, yellow, will be talking about one of the topics that really interests us: video game cinematics, how they evolved, how they changed, and how these days they can be compared to short films and different types of media. Nice. But first and foremost, how are you guys doing? Please, Stafford, you go first. I always cut you off. I, I have oh, noticed oh, every wow. time that I hear okay. the episodes. So go ahead. <laughs> sure, dog. Um, doing okay. Doing fine. Can't complain. Still breathing. Carrying on. Working. Surviving quarantine. Anyway. <laughs> life, life is not that interesting these days, man. There's a, there's a whole lot of staying at home. A lot of writing. Jesus. Um... And, uh, and yeah. <laughs> Very well. Uh, we see Stafford's having a blast on the quarantine. What is it? Day 32 now? Yeah. Day 33? Probably. More, right? Yeah, probably day like day a 30, 30 something. 30 something, yeah. Well, you see how quarantine is really exciting. Rodrigo, how's your week going? Fucking awesome, man. Like, uh, right now, with my little new puppy, the one that we picked up like a while ago, uh, right now she has learned to do, we kind of like did potty training and now she have finally understood. So that's a big achievement. Um, and also, you know, like I, I've been replaying uh, ever since we did the Doom, Doom episode, I was like, uh, probably I should play Doom 2016 like once again. <laughs> so I downloaded it again and I'm trying to um, do the whole playthrough in ultra nightmare or ultra suffering something like that like one of ultra those nightmare. Yeah, ultra I, ultra nightmare. yeah yeah that one and i'm having a blast doing that um and beyond that like i'm dealing with um i'm so this is a announcement like also to you guys but i'm uh writing like a novel uh kind of like a graphic novel with uh, an artist back in mexico uh and yeah like that's kind of like really pushing me forward to just like look ahead and do this introspective and as well like creative uses in my brain you know like just start flowing what about you very nice oh things have been normal uh, you know life ha like life has changed a lot for me and, and as i don't leave the house anymore i used to live outside of my house and now that i spent 30 something days i realized how i don't have like decoration <laughs> i just have like basic furniture to live on so i've been uh, shopping for like posters paintings to decorate the house since i'm stuck here anyway so, yeah, but other than that, like work-wise, life continues the same. I write a script here or there. Rodrigo shits on a script of mine here or there. <laughs> I rewrite a script of mine here or there, you know. And life goes on like that. And still preparing for a shoot uh, for numbers whenever we get to do that, whenever the quarantine ends. Still doing work on that. But there's only so much prep I can do without meeting people and without, you know, getting ready. Yeah, and, but, and and I think like that's kind of like where the topic that we're talking today kind of like shifted the whole thing that we're seeing because remember that back in the day when we were in uh, BFS, like we saw like those guys in the studio. I don't remember the name of the guys right now. And sorry if like they ever get to hear this, but like the guys that do the motion graphics for uh, video games and that the acting students can go and do like the motion capture and all that kind of shit. Uh, and I think like that's kind of like the whole shift of paradigm like just with this thing that we're going to discuss today like you don't need like 20 people over there like we need in a shoot or something like you need like what five people in there plus the actors and then you just capture everything right 
So it's a whole different mindset and a whole different like method to doing all this kind of shit. It's a whole different process, yeah. So let's let's talk a bit about that. Let's talk a bit about video game cinematics. And we watched a metric shit ton of video game cinematics for this episode of Moose Mike. So we have some idea what we're talking about. And we also watched a few of the older ones from the early early to late two thousands. And I think the thing that jumped up to me the most about video game cinematics is that, and cinematics in general, is that they used to be much more of a marketing piece than they are today. Like, if you watch, like, we watched the early Assassin's Creed ones, the Age of Mythology one, the first Halo, the first Halo, the Halo 3 one from 2007, all those cinematics, they're, they're not... Like, they don't tell very much of a story as much as they tell you a product, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Kind of. Can you, can you go more into depth into that? Yeah. So let's, for example, let's look at... I mentioned the Halo example, right? We, have, yeah. we watched two different ones. We watched Halo 3's Starry's Night uh, involving Master Chief and the Finish the Fight marketing campaign. That whole cinematic was based around a marketing campaign, Finish the Fight. The scene on the cinematic itself is not on the game. It's not part of the game, it's not part of the story. It is part of the marketing campaign called Finish the Fight, which is the, it was the Halo 3's marketing campaign in 2006. And if you compare it to Halo's 5 cinematics, or Halo Wars 2 cinematic, Red Team vs. Atriox, or Halo 5's Fireteam Osiris cinematic, those cinematics were both used as marketing material for the game. However, they are basically their own short films. And we see that again with uh, the, the Last of the Gunslinger, with the Star Wars The Old Republic cinematics. They're all used as marketing material, but they are, in its essence, they're a short story. They're, they're, uh, they, they have a story they tell. They are not, they're trying to sell you a product, sure, the same way a movie is trying to sell you on its sequel. Like, they have a set story on them that they tell you instead of just being a commercial, you know? Yeah. No, for me, that happens specifically, like, for example, uh, uh, it has been for a long time, like friends of mine have told me like, hey, you should get into like uh, League of Legends. And I'm like, like I, I have seen the gameplay. I have seen like, for example, from time to time, like when out of out of nowhere, and I, and I hope like we can talk about this, like probably in an interview in the future or something that now we can see like esports in uh, sports bars. So like I have seen how they play it and, but it's nothing like that appeals to me. However, like the, the video that I share with you guys that shows like the evolution from those cinematics and, and and pretty much what you're saying, like they're pretty much short films at this point and tell these compelling stories about this character that even if I haven't played the game, like I'm kind of attached to these guys, you know, but then like I, I don't make that extra step, you know, of like, OK, so now I want to play it because the, the gameplay doesn't reflect anything of what I'm seeing in those cinematics, you know, because when I see those cinematics, I mind like, I don't know, like a third person view with these characters and I can control it and jump around and doing this and that, you know, kind of like what they do in the cinematics. But then like you see it in the actual gameplay and it's just kind of like this is scrolling, like take this guy to this where and this kind of somehow, you know, like an MMAO kind of thing. And that's not my style. It's a, it's the same thing for me with Overwatch as when like the whole Overwatch whole marketing campaign is it's a not cinematic universe, but it's a bunch of short films that connect with each other, of the origins of the characters, of events that happen in the world, and 
that's their whole marketing campaign. That's how they advertise the game. They make short stories about their characters. And for me, those short stories are so good and so interesting that I have... I, I own Overwatch. I don't play it because I don't like the gameplay of the game. But I tone in for every single trailer they drop because they're interesting short stories. And guess what? Me being there and watching their trailer because I'm interested on in the story and I like what they're showing me, that's how they got my view. And with my view, they get more views from people that might actually watch the game. So as a marketing campaign, it's brilliant. Also, I think like what really worked on, on Overwatch like mainly was that also, even though like the first game doesn't have like a, um, a proper story, let's say, like it doesn't have like a single player mode, story mode, something, like the the fans were the ones that were pushing forward for a narrative, right? Like they were kind of like connecting the dots and saying, oh, this guy has this connection with this guy and this guy probably like, you know, like all this bunch of theory that nowadays that we're uh, connected through the internet. Like everybody has a theory from any show, even like stupid shit. So okay. like, I think that work and I don't know, like I, I, I think from my brother that he's like a big Overwatch fan, uh, it seems like with this new Overwatch 2, like they they are trying to steer to that direction where they are actually going to have like a story, like a proper storyline for these guys. And that could actually get me into buying these kind of games because yeah. I'm zero online playing game or something. But like these characters seem like one, the design is fucking cool. And two, like if they have like a background and you can see that progress, I think like that could buy me into like a franchise such as Overwatch. Yeah, but Blizzard's character design is amazing. And I feel like I gotta mention this, but the first time that I know of, like from my memory, the first time that a video game used cinematics on a storytelling perspective, again, from my memory, from what I remember playing, was uh, the first God of War game. I feel like those games really popularized using cinematics as part of the story. All the God of War games start with a cinematic. And if you watch them now, they don't look so great. You can actually count the pixels on them because they're such low res because they're PS2 games. But they used like they used they didn't use in-game engine to do their cutscenes. They did cinematics. They did full rendered cinematics for their story. They were the big story beats, and I feel like that's what kind of what popularized it. Yeah. Also, I think like with with the with God of War, it started happening like the mainstream. Uh, kind of thing with video games, right? Because I remember back in the day, because I, I go way back playing like Nintendo 64 and all that kind of shit, right? And I remember that back in the day, there was still like the stigma of like, oh, video games are like, even though everybody every, everybody did it, like it was still the stigma of like, oh, it's like playing video games is kind of nerdy or kind of like in a bad light, you know? Uh, and it wasn't like a mainstream kind of thing, even though like you went to your friend's house to play or something. But then with, for example, God of War, I think specifically with the God of War 3 and when um, also like you shared the Years of War, when those trailers started to appear, like what shocked me the most when I was like, like a kid, well, between like my teenage years, like it was like these trailers appearing in TV, you know, like for me, that was like a huge deal. I was like, oh, holy fuck. Like how, how is it? How come that these video games are being like, showcasing tv like are they that that good that now people are like turning their attention towards them you know like for me that was like the main like shift of like oh like this is getting serious yeah no it, it, it's funny because like jessica we're gonna get a bit not to get too ahead of myself but like yeah there, there was a time where video games was like a niche thing and now we're in a time where we have video games 
starring Keanu Reeves. Like, not a character voiced by Keanu Reeves. Just straight up Keanu Reeves is on a video game. His likeness, his voice, it's like he's an actor on a movie, but he is in a video game. That's how, like, mainstream it got. But, yeah, like, you mentioned, uh, I feel like Sony, I don't know if it's because of their, like, they also, like, have a production company side of it where they make movies as well. But I feel like Sony really pushed the let's make video games movies kind of thing. Like, I feel like most of their games are like that. Uncharted, Last of Us. The new God of War. War yeah. I don't know, Wonder. Like, like, I think Sony really pushed the border there on let's transform our video games into cinematic experiences into storytelling experiences. It did as well with Horizon Zero Dawn. And I feel like they value storytelling much more than gameplay mechanics, the opposite of Microsoft. Who had a whole would have like Halo Five, they're one of the main games, had not such a great narrative experience, but one of the best multiplayer Halo experiences. So it, I feel like if someone has to be like attributed with the the rise of video game cinematics and video game storytelling, Sony did a great job on it. And to, till this day, like you can say, like that, like it's pretty much like in the mission of the company, you know, because like if not, they wouldn't give like this. Like, first of all, like, they wouldn't give a platform to somebody like Kojima to do his weird-ass fucking game. And then, like, yeah. beyond that, like, Death Stranding was this for, what, like, three years? Like, four years kind of thing? And we were just getting, like, these little sneak peeks of, like, oh, like, this is happening. And, some, so, like, something that I think it was really cool is, like, those things at the end of the day, like, they ended up in the game. And that I really appreciate it. But also, like, all this time, like, those for three years that it was just this, like just trailer from here and then. Like everybody was on the edge of the seat saying like, trying to figure out and just like connecting like, oh, if I put like this trailer at this time with this other trailer, like they're paired up and the baby transferred to the other, like and to the bean or whatever. So I think it's also like that kind of things where we see like the power of the cinematics, you know, of like that storytelling um, power that people are really investing in the in the film. Well, not in the film, sorry, in the video game before actually getting to see, like, what are you getting into, actually, you know? Yes, and sometimes, like, it's like Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk straight up spoiled their game for, the, like, the last cinematic they released on 2019, I believe, was the one the one we saw. It's the... Yep, it's a 2019 cinematic trailer from the E3 convention. They straight up spoil a major, what everyone thought was a major character, Jackie. They straight up spoil his death on a trailer. He was one of the main characters on the gameplay trailer of 2018, on the 40 minute segment they released. Everyone thought he was going to be a big companion of the game, and then they released a 2019 trailer, which is also where they revealed Keanu Reeves, but they also just straight up spoiled the game. So. Yeah. And, and that's, that's their whole, like, Cyberpunk. Like, I think Cyberpunk's a great example of how cinematics changed. Because Cyberpunk has been, quote-unquote, in development. And I mean, in development, there's been at least one guy working on it since 2013. The first cinematic trailer for Cyberpunk has come out in 2013. And most of their mainstream marketing stuff, and I'm not mentioning their Twitter thing they post with hidden codes, and I'm not mentioning the, the Twitter videos they post explaining the lore of the world because they don't advertise that as much as they advertise their E3 trailers and the gameplay trailers. Most of Cyberpunk's marketing campaign is based on trailer cinematics. The game the, for the game was released on a cinematic with no context to it. We saw it again 
with a cinematic trailer just explaining what the setting was and what the city like was just a trailer dedicated to night city then the next time we see the game again it's another cinematic explaining more about the world and the story and a few months later we see the first gameplay trailer of the game but that game has been hyped up for so long and only based on these what are essentially short film animated short films but but also i think like we have to see somehow to the bigger picture in this like especially with cyberpunk you know because i think uh, if I remember correctly, like Daddy Tree was the one that uh, Sony was like, we're not going into, right? And yeah. like Xbox, like even though I know you're a big Xbox, Xbox fan, like somehow Xbox had been put into a corner where it was like, you guys are not releasing games. And meanwhile, Sony has been hitting home runs with his single player storytelling experiences. And like, kind of like the thing that redeemed in a lot of people's eyes, uh, Microsoft and Xbox as a whole, was like having Keanu Reeves that, like it was kind of like the year that Keanu Reeves was like got like pretty yeah. much like everything that he, yeah like it was like if he sweat people were just buying bottles of that sweat and drinking it you know like and they were like oh yeah majestic Keanu Reeves you know actor a boy bath water <laughs> <laughs> hey Keanu Keanu I have an idea for you give me a call let's make some money let's make the patent. <laughs> Yeah, again, like, to Microsoft's defense, as I'm a Microsoft fanboy, uh, not to get into a different conversation, but ever since Phil Spencer sued Microsoft, their aim as a company on the Xbox department has changed a lot. As in, they really don't care about, like, Microsoft doesn't have, Xbox does not have exclusives anymore. Everything that comes out, comes out to PC as well. I think Halo 5 is the only exclusive game, main game that Xbox has now, because even Gears 5 is on PC. In fact, Gears 5, I, I played Gears 5 for $2 with the Game Pass. I feel like Microsoft now is going more in the direction of the Netflix of video games, where yeah. they sell the Game Pass and become like kind of the, the streaming service of video games. And they're coming with xCloud now, which might be their new like Google Stadia competitor. And has everything to be better than Google Stadia, because let's be real, there's it's not a high bar to be better than Google Stadia. It's not really that great of a service. But... To keep on topic of video game cinematics and video game storytelling, I was replaying. I was playing today, not today, but this week, the new Final Fantasy game, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, uh, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, and after I played, I played the first three hours of the game, and then I did a comparison with the original one. And again, Final Fantasy VII Remake—it's pretty much just cinematics. The whole game is pretty much just cinematics. Yeah. Like the, the first hour of it, at okay. least, you know what what originally were mm-hmm. in in engine graphic stuff of like just little polygon toys talking are now full on directed cinematics. But do you think like that add up to the experience or like take something away? I don't know. It, it, it's weird because it makes it feel less like a video game, more like a movie. So, like, I have this weird thing where, like, I, my video, I don't like mixing my video games and my movies. So, like, I was loving the cinematic experience I was having, right? The first three hours of the game were a blast. But then I got to the part where, like, it turned it into a full video game. Like, it had no more cinematics. It just had a bunch of side missions. It was, like, chapter three where you get to the village. And it's, like, it's, you know when video games have the chapter, which is, like, the, the filler chapter, which is, like, all right, you did a bunch of story stuff. Now go do some side quests. Go do some, like, main, not so meaningful 
main quests. Yeah, somehow like, I, I kind of hate just it. Just slow it down. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, since the first the first hour of the game was so heavy packed with cinematics, story beats, intense dramatic moments, I got the part of the game where I just saw a bunch of side quests open up. And no, like, next story, main story beat in sight. I just put the controller down and stopped playing. Because it was, a I don't know, like, I... Although it made the high super high, it made the low a bit lower for me personally. Like, I haven't touched the game since because I really don't want to do those side missions. I just want to get back into the main story. Yeah, I remember, like, and I hate to sound like an old guy with all these, like, back in the day, like, this used to be, like, you know, like that kind of shit. <laughs> kind of like, okay, boomer kind of shit. Uh, but I remember that back in the day, like, when, when I was young, <laughs> fuck, this really hurts. Uh, like, when you were playing a video game, like, the cinematics, like, within the, like, not, not the promo cinematics, but, like, the cinematics within the game. Like, those kind of things were, like, the big moments, you know? Like, so you spent, like, kind of like what you were saying with Final Fantasy. So you played the whole game, like, as a game. And then, like, from time to time, like, the the developers, could say, or, like, the game took the control out of you. And mm -hmm. with the in, in-game engine, like, just, like, without cinematic, like, just with the in-game engine, like, they did, like, these little bits of, like, oh, they're talking one another or like oh this guy is going to this place to grab this thing like that kind of shit from time to time but like when you were like when you were like oh shit like this shit is getting real it was when the cinematic came you know it was like oh fuck like this yes. is a big moment you know like the boss is appearing or like uh somebody's going to die or like you have to save somebody like last minute or something like it was kind of like those big moments you know uh, so I don't know with what you're trying to say uh, with the Final Fantasy, like if that's taking away that experience, you know, of like uh, kind of like we broke the budget in this cinematic, you know, like just to make this moment really special because now yeah. the whole game looks freaking awesome all the way through, you know? Yeah, but like I, 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 I actually, yeah, I think you hit it on the head, Rodrigo. I feel like for me personally, and maybe this is a dumb, it's a hot take, a dumb opinion here. But I feel like cinematics should be saved for special moments. Because when they're happening everywhere, like it's an actual movie. Because that, like, that's the thing. Now they can't just make movies on these games. They have the capacity just turning these games into animated photorealistic movies. It's possible. They have the money. They have the means to. We've seen it. But we should ask the question if they should. Because I like to compare, for example, I sent The Last End of the Gunslinger. It's Destiny's two Forsaken cinematic. It is Destiny doesn't have a lot of cinematics. Most stuff, most cutscenes in the game are in engine. They're not three D rendered cinematics. And when you have something like the last stand of a gunslinger, which is a huge plot point, it's one of the main characters of the game having his last stand and dying. Because it's a cinematic, and we are seeing these characters jump around, we're seeing the character jump around and fighting his enemies and like action that we haven't seen before it feels unique you know the moment feels more powerful if we had a shit ton of cinematics all the time like we have in final fantasy 7 of characters doing anime jumps and killing enemies left and right the last stand of the gunslinger wouldn't feel as powerful as it does i feel like a game that does that pretty well is god of war 2018 where the game i think i think god of war 2018 hit it on the head because it, it did a thing where it's all it's mostly in engine yeah but when, when, it, when it does have a cinematic the cinematic is trying to trick you that it's an engine 
And I feel like that works perfect because the whole game has one tone and what they need to enhance stuff with 3D renders they do, but it's not obvious, you know? And then I don't feel like I'm losing control of the game, you know? So every time I'm playing it, like every time a cinematic happens in God of War, let's say there's a dragon moment where you're fighting a dragon climbing the mountain. I don't even remember why you're climbing the mountain, but you, you, oh yeah, for the ashes. Then. You, you fight a dragon and you climb to the mountain to put the ashes of your wife. In the middle of that fight, there are some tree rendered stuff where the player has no control of it. But since it's a, all shot in a wonder, the whole game is done in a wonder, there's no cuts on it. And a second before that, I had control of the character. And a second after that, I'm going to have... A minute after that, I'm going to have control of the character. And the camera stay the same. There's no cuts. The graphics seem similar. Just some, like, in 3D enhancements were done. I felt like I still mattered. I, feel like, I felt like I was still doing something, even though I had no control. But it did translate me a feeling that I had. Which is different from Final Fantasy, where the first... Honestly, for the first three hours of the game, I was watching a movie. I was not interested in the combat, I was not interested in doing anything, because the cinematics were really good, and it was really interesting, Just I just want to watch the rest of this. And then when a the game forced me to actually, hey, here's a bunch of dumb side quests you gotta do to level up to get the new story beat. That's when I was like, yeah, that, you know, it was a really, like, it, it cut the tension out, which I feel like it's a bad thing, personally. I would like to ask, like, each one of you, like, which is kind of like your favorite, uh, Oh yeah, so what's your favorite cinematic Arthur and Stafford? Who wants to go first? Stafford wants to go first. Uh, he told me he let him tell. Yeah, he looks like it. Sure. Definitely, as we're not in the same... That's... Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, my, my favorite cinematic uh, is... Oof. I mean, I think, I think it's really The Old Republic. Uh, Which of the though? whole? I, I like I like just watching. Oh God, you're making me. Choose. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make a pick. Um, let's see. I think actually the the first one I think was was probably my favorite, which is the one uh, I don't remember what which one it's called, but it's in the like chronological order of the story. The first one, the first one. you mean? Um, okay, uh, betrayal. I think the one the one in the space uh, station. I think yeah, betrayal. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, betrayal. It's deception or something um, like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it is like it's it's beautiful for one, um, and then like the the action is really interesting. It feels really Star Wars uh, as a game, specifically also having played a bit of the game. It does a really good job of setting up the um, in ways in ways that you don't realize until you're playing the game. It sets up a bunch of the game mechanic stuff. Um, which is really interesting because, like, you actually see all four of your game classes and basically kind of what they do over the course of the cinematics. And in that one, you see, um, like, you see with the troopers, like, kind of there. You see a trooper, you see a smuggler, mm-hmm. you see um, like a Jedi guardian, you see a Jedi um, consular, right? So you kind of see like all these different roles a bit in this sort of more cinematic environment um, to help kind of. I guess interest you in one or the other or, or whatever, um, and then the storytelling is freaking amazing. I mean, again, if I have to pick one, like it's hard to pick one because they're all amazing, and it's sad because the game is good but not, it's not as amazing as their cinematics. The, the game is not, um, not good. I, I which played Swole Tour for years. It's an abusive relationship. It's not a good uh, game. 
I the thing I'm, I I'm gonna segue a bit here, which is to say, the gameplay was not. Super interesting. As always, the storytelling super on point Bioware, for Bioware. Bioware no so stories yet. They're, yeah, their storytelling on point. Let that your character got like their own personal story. Super cool. My problem was, I I played the like the spy one first. It was the first like story that I played through, and then <laughs> which is could not get stories, into any of the other stories. Right, no, that yeah, no, it is. That was it. I couldn't get into any yeah. of the other stories because they all sucked by comparison, best, and I actually went and looked online. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Right, so I went online and I was like, okay, there's got to be somebody else who, who feels this way. And like every single thing that I was seeing, overwhelmingly, there were a few people that had differing opinions, but overwhelmingly, Impurity. people were like, yep, that's the best story. Yeah, the best. And I was like, well, fuck, I played the best one first. Yeah, I guess I'm done with this game because. Yeah. I can't get into any of the others. Yeah, no, I was a dumb dumb. What I a bummer! Hunter first, which was one of the most boring ones, which was great for later on when I played the other ones. Right. Yeah. Anyway, Rodrigo, what's or Rodrigo? You asked the question. Arthur, what's your favorite cinematic? <laughs> I have a few answers for that. Uh, first and foremost, my favorite video game cinematic is a Netflix show called Tiger King. You should watch it right. <laughs> for fuck's sake, Arthur! Like every, every fucking episode, man. Every fucking episode you have been talking Jesus. about the show. Like, There's I, a new I, Tiger King episode coming out. Stay watch. I have Tiger seen, Watch. I Tiger have Squad. seen it. It is fucking awesome, but man, shut the fuck up with Tiger King, for fuck's sake. <laughs> anyway, I have three favorite video games. I'm going to say video game cinematics and moments. All of them are super melancholic <laughs> and sad. I feel like my favorite like video game moment, which I guess it's short point, Rodrigo, it's not a cinematic per se. It's like in-game engine, which I guess it has to a point that graphics are on everything. One of the most beautiful moments in video games for me is in Mass Effect 3, the sacrifice of the scientist Morden Solus, when he, he, goes, to, oh, yeah. he yeah. goes to the tower to pretty much save a uh, species from a... Uh, was like, I am the very from... image of a scient- scientist Solarian, yes. the line, or whatever and the song then he goes, he's singing. It has, to me, it has to me be, someone else might get it wrong, and he gives his life to... F- Fix his mistake and save a whole speed. It's a I, I cannot watch that scene without tearing up. But that was in game engine. Cinematic wise, there's two that like player I watch them constantly. One of them I sent here is the last stand of the gunslinger, the destiny one from the Forsaken DLC, which is the death of the main one of the three main characters of the game, Kate Six. And I feel like it's just a great way of it like it it doesn't have a lot of dialogue. It's basically it's a, it's a combat set piece. It has a lot of, like, if it was a movie, it'd be full of stunts, full of practical effects. It's just combat, but it tells a story through combat. You don't need to know the, the story of Destiny or play the game to know who Cage 6 is. You can understand what type of person he is just from watching The Last Stand of the Gunslinger. It sets up his whole character and how he acts, who he is. And at the end, it, it's a beautiful yet tragic end to one of the, me, in my opinion, the best Destiny character, Cade Six, and the other one that it's also watched all the time is, as mentioned today, the Gears of War Three one, uh, Dominic Santiago's sacrifice when he gives his life to save his squad by ramming a gas pump of a truck. And the thing I feel like the Gears of War Three one is the best example of a cinematic enhancing the story. It's one of the few times in Gears Three where you have like a fully detailed like three D render stuff. And the reason why it works so well, it's because for those that never played Gears, do you, have you guys played Gears of War? 
I have seen the cinematics, but, I have or, not, like but the story. I haven't it, yeah. played one. So Gears of War Dom is always the player two, which means that if you're playing the game co-op, the second player will always play Dom, or the first always will play Marcus. So throughout the, all the three games, Dom is always like he's the second main character of the game. Marcus is the main guy. Dom is always with him. He has his own story arc, and he like he's in the game just as much as the main character is. So losing Dom at the climax of the, one of the climaxes of the last game, it's such a heartbreaking moment because that's the thing where video games are strong, right? They're like 30 to 20 hours long. So you get to spend so much time with the characters that you get attached to them. And Dom is in present on the game just the main character. So when you see that scene of him sacrificing himself to save Marcus and his squad, and then you boot up the next mission, and you, you, like, you like me, I play the whole game co-op, you boot up the next mission, and the second player now is not playing Dom anymore. He's playing a different character because Dom is gone. And I feel like it's a perfect mix of like using a gameplay element of the second player always being this character with the cinematic. It's just beautifully done. I can see that. Like, I, and I remember yeah, like a lot of people made uh, a huge deal out of that scene. Like, it became viral like in the early YouTube. The early, the late twenty. Well, that's um, that's it. Is I, I think it specifically is what you're explaining with the um with with regards to the gameplay part of it, that is probably why it was so impactful. Because yes. having watched it myself, but not having played the game, it was nice. But like it but it, it didn't it didn't really resonate with me the same way it sounds like it resonated with everybody else. Um, and that's it is is it's because as you're you're pointing out this very, very strong um, gameplay element part of it that you only get from from playing the game. And, and to sort of circle back to what we were discussing earlier, you know, that's that's the sign of something that could not be a movie. Yes, like that scene would not impact the same if you just watched it, like like I did, right? It didn't impact me the same way. Whereas you, having played it, there was this very very strong interactive connection with that event because it fundamentally changed the gameplay, mm -hmm. right? I, yeah, I agree. This is, this is when video game storytelling is at its strongest. It's when the gameplay mm -hmm. and the story are connected and talk to each other. Yeah, kind of, kind of like with the 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 game we discussed the other day, like uh, a way out. Way that, out, yes. That all this time, like, can can I mm -hmm. spoil it? Like, because it has been out for a while, right? Yeah, spo spoil way out. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, we could just say spoiler alert. Um, I don't know. Fast forward. A minute if you don't want to okay a spoiler a alert spoiler. and then stafford will a put minute, here like, uh, a message saying like you have to jump hey, guess to what? that minute guess what if you haven't played a way out by the end of the game you gotta kill your friend yeah told you well he just said it so <laughs> i don't have to say it anymore <laughs> but it, it's kind of like that like i played it's with my brother time. uh and it was it was freaking cool because the whole time we were playing like back and forth and, and I don't know if you did this, Arthur, while playing A Way Out, but like uh, in the construction site, you see that mm -hmm. you can do like arm wrestling. Yes. Uh, man, yes, we spent like easily, easily like two hours, like just pushing buttons until he finally gave up. But it was like such a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. I agree. It was kind of like those moments that like you start feeling attached to these characters. And then at the end uh it brings this moment of like one of you has to go out and like i was playing uh what's the name of this guy's bins uh big nose guy or cop guy uh, cop guy that is this oh. guy's <laughs> yeah cop guy uh, 
Mm. And then, uh, like, for me, it was like, what? I, I, I don't want to do this, you know? But I also don't want to fucking lose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Fair enough. Yeah. I think that, that's how, that's what you're saying. Like, storytelling with gameplay, like, merged together, like, is the fucking best, man. And, like, I feel like, sorry, let's do this. You say your favorite cinematic now, and then we can go back and talk about, a bit more about video game storytelling. So what's oh, yeah, your favorite uh, cinematic, Rodrigo? Uh, pro- probably I'm going to get like some hate because of this, but uh, well, I don't know. But even if the game was super shitty, uh, and I also got it and I played it, like for me, one oh of like one great cinematic uh, was uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, like with the um, oh fuck, I forgot the I forget the fucking names of the songs, but like uh, everybody wants to rule the world. Like that kind of thing, oh, and just yeah. like them going to the chapel and like going against, like seeing like the whole revolution and seeing like the eagle fly between all that kind of stuff. Like when I saw that trailer at the beginning, I was like, "Oh, that looks fucking sick," you know. Like, uh, and then like of course the game didn't play it out that way, right? But at least no, like that. But Wait, like, the game played out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, whenever he wanted, right? But like not yeah. not always. Uh, game had its own volitions and intentions exactly but that cinematic for me like that like it's kind of like one of those things that i cannot say is my favorite like let's say but like it's impregnated in my head you know like it's printed there that i will remember that trailer and from time to time i I look at it and it's like oh this is fucking sick you know uh yeah dude I agree with you. I like it. Ubisoft knows their cinematics, especially the, their new ones, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen that. It's not even cinematics anymore, but like their Watch Dogs trailers and their oh. Rain- oh, and their what the name of it, uh, Division trailers, where they look like they like they look like internet conspiracy videos, you know, talking yeah. about how the government's fucking you over. They're pretty good at that. Yeah. No, I agree. Like they they know their shit, uh, and props to them for knowing their shit. Uh, and maybe like just. Uh, and within cinematic of the game, one of my favorites is like um, both fi- like the Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. Uh, that was, I think, the, the last one in console before Three Houses and also the ones in Three Houses. Like those cinematic, like for me, when a Fire Emblem puts you like a cinematic, like some shit is about to go down, like that is going to shift the whole game, you know? So, <laughs> What's their boss music? <laughs> Yeah, like why? Why am I listening like boss music? What that fucking dragon? Uh, like, yeah. So like, I think those are my cinematics that for me like I hold it really uh, deep in my heart. Mhm. Mhm. Uh... Both of you played a way out, right? A what? I've not, but I did watch somebody. I watched the game drivers play all the way through it. Y'all saw the plot twist coming, right? Like, I saw that coming a mile away. For for what game? I didn't listen. A way out. Oh no! I, I no, I didn't thought that was the. No, I, I didn't thought that way, man. Because I was like super invested into the story that then like when this guy. Nobody he, like that. Like it was an example of video games hinting at stuff super well, like doing storytelling super well. I think his way out is. Like the, I think the moment that sold it to me was when you, you like are in the gun range and you're testing weapons. Yeah. The cop guy, whatever his name is, he just knows every single weapon's name. Like he knows like their model name, their weapon type, and and he's supposedly an accountant. So that's when the first flag was raised to me. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see it. Like, but but also like for example, we have Stafford that is like. 
a production designer and he's like a gun fanatic, right? So it could make sense. But I, I agree. I can see, I, I, well, I can well, see your well, point. Well, I can see your point. But uh, she's Stafford the forest shooting <laughs> bears, <laughs> slug thrower guns, hunting mooses. Uh, but uh, uh, I mean, gun no, fanatic. No, the thing no, was like, yeah, as, sure. as I was mentioning, I was playing with my brother. So like, when that moment of the game played out, like I just grabbed like I think the submachine gun or something. And we were just trying to do friendly fire, and I was yeah. I wasn't paying attention to the dialogue or like that moment in time, you know. I was just like, "This is fucking yeah. awesome." So probably I missed those hints that you're saying. Yeah, I know. There's the whole thing where you go to the hospital to talk with your wife, and then they don't really care about the like Vic specifically doesn't really care about the cops coming, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're, those kind of things, kind of like, that's, like, smart storytelling for me, you know? The, the hints were in the game, and it was really well done. But that's good video game mm-hmm. storytelling. Want to talk about dumb video game storytelling? Mm. Before before we get into dumb video game storytelling, I actually, I wanted to talk about um, XCOM really fast. This conversation has reminded me X-Com? about uh, about that. Oh, yes, oh fuck X-Com. yeah. Not what you would traditionally yeah. consider a super narrative video game experience, right? Like, it's a strategy game. Yeah. Strategy games, not super well known for their narrative. Their cinematics are okay, but not super groundbreaking. But what was really, really cool, as somebody who loves both the first and the second one, is what the, the twist they pulled with uh, the story of the second game, Could which was remake, that basically right? the company, I'm not sure... What's up, Arthur? You're talking about the remakes or the second? By second XCOM, I mean XCOM Two, the remake one from twenty. Yeah, so yeah, X- no, so XCOM they, they... Two and then XCOM One. Yeah, the the remakes of remake, the yeah. of the okay. games. Yeah. So they collected like user data from the first game over the course of its release, right? Yes. They basically found out that like something like ninety nine percent of people lost the first playthrough. Mm-hmm. Or were in a position where they just, like, reset the game because they knew they were going to lose. So they actually incorporated that into the second game. Which is that, in the second game, you lo- you lost. Like, the, the canon story is that you lost the war. Yeah. And that every playthrough that you, air quotes, won... It was a simulation. ...was the aliens putting you in a simulation yes. so that they could be learning from you. Yep. And... It's that's very nice. Actually, it's more freaking mind blowing. It's not even. It's like even more specific than that. Like ninety percent of the players not only lost, but their moment of loss was in the base attack mission. Was when your base is attacked, most of them couldn't defend the base. So in the game world, that's what happens. The base attack. You, you, everything happens as you played up until the base mission. The base mission is a failure, and the commander gets captured. Yeah, and, right. and and now that's why they sh- they have the ship in the uh, second X Be- yes. Beyond, they have to move the base, around to do the, the resistance. Got destroyed, yeah. The base yeah. got destroyed. Oh. I don't know. Like yeah. I also love those games. Uh, I don't know how you guys play them, but I love them because like you get your. So the the first couple of guys that you have in the tutorial or whatever, like of course they're going to get killed, or, or hopefully one of them like survives. Uh, but then like when you start making your little army. And like you start uh, scaling with classes and all that kind of shit, 
and you start getting attached to these guys because oh my guy you, you were the guy the, the one that uh, blasted that mutant in that uh, last raid or something you know oh oh, oh you, you're the, the sniper that like saved that that time you know like you start making your own narrative in your head you know and getting attached to these characters so like one of the things that i i think is cool for XCOM as well as for let's say Fire Emblem, if you play Fire Emblem properly, is the permadeath with the characters, you know? Yes. I think that's a really cool uh, gameplay setting or a gameplay mechanic that it can either break or make your game or your playthrough in that in that same. Campaign, and that's you know? the thing. Like back to like that's the thing that only video games can do, right? Permadeath and. Characters dying by your choices, your mistakes, not something a movie will ever be able to achieve. Right? The game making mm-hmm. you get attached to a character and then killing the character if you made the wrong choice is such a great example of gameplay and storytelling working together. I know we're going to talk about bad video game storytelling, but since you brought these examples, it's like Mass Effect 2, the suicide mission. The, the whole game is a huge recruitment mission. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you're recruiting these characters and doing their loyalty missions, getting to know them as people. Right, and getting attached, I guess, 20 hours of you getting attached to these characters. That's pretty much what the game is. And then at the end, you have a mission mm-hmm. where if you make the wrong choices on the mission, they're gonna die. And there's no fixing it. Yeah. They're gonna be dead. You can't, like, you need to reset yeah, the playthrough if, uh, if you wanna save them. And right, if it, you don't move fast enough, people can die too. Like, all, yes. the, all the non party members, yes, all the rest of your don't, crew will if die. You don't if you don't start move a mission fast early enough. enough, the crew dies. And the thing is, the thing that I think is beautiful about Mass Effect 2 is that if these characters die in Mass Effect 2, they won't show up in 3. You lost them. And your war, your the war effort is harder because Mass Effect 2, basically you have the world's brightest minds working on this quote, on this straight-up suicide mission. And if they die, they won't be there for the Reaper War a few years later. Which is yeah. a brilliant like, right. gameplay and storytelling right there. That's how you do it. God, I wish Bioware was still good like that. Well, that's it. Is now now we transition into what are bad examples of gameplay storytelling, right? Yeah, I, I, I thought <laughs> so, it like you know I, I never played a Mass Effect game before three because you start on three. Yeah, I started on three. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, goodbye. All right. Yeah, goodbye, guys. Uh, see you later. But you can like confirm it with my brother. Uh, so when I got three. Um, uh, yeah, sure. I was like, I don't know. I also thought it was kind of like a good jumping point, even if it's the last game, uh, because it's when the Reapers are like invading the the Earth and you're like escaping with the uh, the commander or the general, whoever the fuck his name is. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then like, so I played the whole game like straight. Like I I I fell in love with the game, and I barely sleep while playing the game. Uh, but what? What I thought it was such bullshit was the ending of that game. And I know it has been mentioned and commented and criticized like a bunch of times, like across history at this point. But I, I just thought like to myself, like I'm, I'm jumping in right now. That is the third game, you know, like that is the final entry. And I'm just entering the game, let's say. And I'm super pissed off about this ending. I cannot imagine the guys that have been playing ever since Mass Effect 1. To get this shitty ending, so <laughs> this my, super my, shitty ending. Yeah, you know what? You know what I think happened. I think, like, my opinion is that they blew the road early. You know, because the suicide mission in Mass Effect Two is something that, from my knowledge, is something that hasn't been done since Mass Effect Two as a concept. You know, having a mission where characters can die depending on how fast you do things, depending on the choices you make during the mission. You know, it's basically 
a mission, which is also a puzzle. And if you get the puzzle wrong, people die. And it was brilliant. And it should have happened in Mass Effect 3. The suicide mission. Uh, that's my opinion. Suicide mission should have happened in Mass Effect 3. Should have been a thing where... Do, do something different. Mass, it's Mass Effect. Nobody cares. It's the second game in the, the trilogy. Nobody cares. But do something else. You have this brilliant concept of suicide mission. Put it in the third game. Make me do choices that kill everyone I met throughout this whole series, you know? That's why I think the ending was disappointing. Because the suicide mission was such a good ending. That having the fucking Star Child bullshit was nothing to compare. Yeah. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, I kind of want to talk about, like, Telltale games. And let's say, like, some examples of... Not not walking simul uh, simulators per se, but like quick time events and all that kind of shit that we have been seeing with, for example, Heavy Rain. And, oh, don't even talk. And, and Detroit. You mentioned uh, that storytelling. You mentioned David Cage. Yeah, and Detroit. What what is it called? Detroit uh, Become Human. Detroit like, Become Human. Yeah. Beyond Two Souls. No, Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, also. What a like, fucking hack, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I I, oh. I think. Oh, okay. I, I don't know how you guys perceive these games, but I I think like I like them in general, like because I'm. <laughs> you, you can you can. Oh boy. Well, the thing is, like one, Arthur, like, you've you've already made your I, opinion I clear on cool. like game. You're really gonna get me started on David Cage. <laughs> well, so so that, here's the thing: is Arthur, you've already pointed out that you really prefer when games are games and movies. Are no, movies, no, but it's like, not even. The, all those that. are. It's not even that. My problem, David Cage, is a complete okay. problem. Because I say that, okay. but I can still can go and say, Last of Us is a good game. I acknowledge that. It's just like, for me, not my thing. Because I like video games being more interactive. You know, I, you know, I will, but I still say Last of Us is a good game. David Cage is such a fucking hack. Like, it's not that, like, the games are bad because they're not interactive. Because they are pretty fucking interactive, actually. They're, I'd say they're even more interactive than Telltale games. When it comes to making the game, like, making mm -hmm. your choices matter, they still don't matter, don't get me wrong. But they matter more than they would in a Telltale game. They're still above Telltale in that regard. But the stories are so fucking bad! David Cage is such a <laughs> hack, dude! Okay. I don't know okay. how this guy... Like, I don't, I don't know how David Cage gets so many deals for his games. Like, it's... He made a whole game! He made, a, he, didn't, he made a mystery murder game where the mystery only works because the game lies to you. <laughs> like, mm. Well, this guy. Hey, man. He, he, he writes female characters. Obviously, obviously, he's doing well. Yeah, like, I'm, he's doing something. Somehow, like, <laughs> every single female character he writes is the same. He doesn't know how to write actual women. He writes the same character every time, and it's disgusting. Female characters exist to be love interests or rape victims in his world. And that's every fucking game! Like... Wow. What a wow. fuck... Lay, lay it all on me, man. What a fuck you... Tell, tell me your opinion. No, dude, I told him. David Cage, dude, I can't take David Cage seriously. I'm sorry. But please, someone that likes him, go ahead. Can... can Call me a shithead if you want. If you like his games, right? Oh, there you go. Any publicity is good publicity. <laughs> we'll get we'll get David Cage on the interview here, and, and uh, oh, see can, how that goes. can we interview David Cage? 
You know what? Like, I'm really interesting one day when this podcast hopefully becomes a big deal. Just bringing people that Arthur has been shit talking like for so many years and tell them like, and tell Arthur or just on air, you know, like tell him like, okay, Arthur, like go ahead and back up your shit that we were saying like two years ago, you know? Hey, David Cage, David Cage, how dare you? It's my only question for you. How oh, fucking dare you? I imagine you will be like oh, that man. guy that it was like, guys, well, I think get, my comment get, was taken out of context. Soon. Like what I meant to no, say okay. was this. Okay, my, my thing is here. I'm obviously, like, most of the time I'm joking, and I'm exaggerating to make it funny. I do think that David Cage is a bad writer. I do think he's kind of a hack in the way he writes things. Don't think he's a bad person or a shitty person. No disrespect to him as a human being. I just don't think he's a good screenwriter or director. I feel like his stories are really laughable and bad. With the exception of Connor's story and Detroit Become Human, that's decent. That's actually, like, pretty okay. But it's not new. Everything else that he does, like, he, he gets played like beyond two souls. <laughs> like, no, like the the thing I know, like David Cage from is actually Detroit. Like, I I, I saw this is best work. I, Detroit I, is his best work. I, I saw Heavy Rain. I I saw the playthrough, and I was like, okay, this is like kind of cool. Then like beyond two souls, I I didn't saw it or anything. I I just knew that Ellen Page was attached, and that's it. But then like when Detroit came out. I was really into playing that game. Detroit was his best one. He was like the one he was most controlled. Like, there's still some bullshit on Detroit. Don't get me wrong. Connor's story is the only thing I really like on that game, but it's better than like Beyond Two Souls is just. Like again, I think my biggest issue with him is how he writes his female characters. It's not as present on Detroit, but Beyond Two Souls, Heavy Rain. Fahrenheit, it's almost like it's a checklist of things that female characters have to go through to be on his games. They have to be love interests. They have to go through either a situation where they're sexual assaulted or someone tries to rape them. But they for have example, to be able to do karate. No, but for example, Kara in Detroit, no, like. Detroit she, is the ex- exception. Detroit is the exception. Yeah, like that, I was mentioning. Like, I was wanting to mention that. Like, I. I, I Sure, like she has like an awkward domestic abuse situation, but beyond that, she's not checking any marks that you're saying right now. No, Detroit. In question of that, Detroit, he was more tamed. It's more talking about the journalist from Heavy Rain goes through that. Ellen Page and Beyond Trousseau goes through that. Cop character in Fahrenheit goes through that. It's like he doesn't know how to do anything else. And then there's like the obvious stuff where like Fahrenheit has a scene where he's just like taking assets off the world to make the apartment disappear. And it's so fucking badly done. And then you have stuff. You have stuff like Detroit, right? Where you have... You have a, an android trying to explain to a black person what segregation is. Are you fucking kidding me? How tone deaf are you? <laughs> like, Detroit is not set in a fantastical world. It's set on the future of our world. And you have... A character tried to explain to someone that went through segregation what segregation is. <laughs> but wait, who are you talking to? Of whom? Kara. The new Kara storyline, there's a point where you get to the lady that has the android, uh, the android hiding farm thing where she sends people androids to Canada. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you have some dialogue options, which is pretty much you're lecturing this lady who most likely was alive during the segregation era, 
what the fuck is segregation and how what's the android play like bitch she knows <laughs> if there's someone that knows it's her like you know mm -hmm. god fucking damn it david cage like and this is the, like those are the things where like like that like i can see like david cage thought it was gonna be a brilliant move to do that but he didn't realize how tone deaf it was uh like, yeah, yeah. What, what what can i say like he fucked up. <laughs> he fucked up, yeah. I, I'm not going to defend him for that, but, like, I, I just... Yeah. Like, just going back before the rant of David Cage to the... Uh, sorry, David Cage. I I, 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 I enjoy David Cage games the same way I enjoy Star Wars prequels. I just awesome. shit on them. Yeah, I, I can notice. Uh, oh, boy. But but I, I'm just wondering, like, as a... Because I think you, Stafford, like, you pointed out or... One of you pointed out, like, at this point, I don't know, but, like, that even if you are making decisions in these games, those decisions at the end of the day don't matter because you're going to end up with the same finale as anybody else that made the quite opposite um, decisions that you made. So even though it's kind of like a deceitful mm -hmm. uh, gameplay characteristic, like, what do you guys think about that? Like, do you feel immersed when you're playing these games or, or what up? I felt immersed in Walking Dead season one. After that, I realized it was all a sham, and I couldn't feel immersed in them anymore because the decisions don't really matter. Because like that's the thing for me. Like when I noticed that like whatever I did, it didn't matter. The game would just go on exact the same. That's when I kind of like tuned out of those games. But there's mm. still cool stories, right? So I think. Oh, go ahead, Summer. Well, so I was just gonna say I think basically because because. There's fantastic stories that are designed without really necessarily character choice. Um, and I think, but those games have really interesting, like, gameplay. So basically, if you, it's got to be either, like, the gameplay has to be really strong. And you can still have a strong story, but if it's just, a, like, a single story where your involvement doesn't change the story, then it's still important for it to be a game because you've got strong gameplay. Or, as a game, it doesn't necessarily have to have super strong gameplay if your decisions matter. I think they're kind of the two directions that, that I think yeah. have been successful with gameplay storytelling. And the reason why Until Dawn um, worked so well is because the decisions actually mattered on that game. It was also easier because Until Dawn never, was never meant to have a sequel or be a franchise, but the fact that your decisions had to wait on the game made it matter, made it be catch more that, that's the one with the teenagers Teenage, in the yeah, like yep. it's a, the, the slasher movie with the teenagers. with, yeah. with kate and panettiere and all yeah. these guys right and, and, and Malik. Malik. Right. no here's yeah. here's the thing i gotta say you know what sure decisions matter that game's like dumb switching villains halfway through pissed me off yeah i know right yes. yeah. you, you know what not, pissed me off as not well? gonna lie <laughs> that was a funny game no, like, for me, what pissed me off as well was, like, I, I saw how many people died, like, uh, in other people's game uh, gameplays, and I was like, but it's not even fucking hard, you know? Like, all my all my guys survived in my, in my playthrough. As well, if uh, if you play the new game from those guys, uh, Man of Medan yeah. or whatever. Medan, yeah. yeah, like, all my fucking guys survived. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, <laughs> then, like, okay, so I'm going to make a bold statement. If any of your guys dies in one of these games, then you don't have any point of judging people in horror movies. You're just as dumb as they are. Should, should, should I send my screenshot from my Guardians of the Galaxy game that I played and I got two of the Guardians killed and one kicked out? Oh, fuck. Arthur, come on, man. <laughs> it was so sad. I finished the chapter and at the end of the chapter I had like a report on the status of each Guardian and it was like... Uh, it was like, Drex, dead. 
Gamora, no longer a guardian. Groot, no longer a guardian. Then Quill, guardian, rocket guardian. <laughs> Fuck. Oh it's like a mess, dude. Yeah. Up that one. So- sounds like a mess, man. Yeah. But also, can you just remind me, you, just, you, said, uh, you said teenagers. Let's talk about another horrible storytelling game. Life is a strange. Can you talk about that for a second? Shut the fuck up. Life is a strange. No! Awesome. No! No! Idiots. No! Shut up! We're not gonna defend that. <sighs> it is. It is fucking awesome. Life is a strange gets all your decisions and everything you've done in the story. And it spits on your face and say they don't matter. Because the end doesn't matter. Whatever ending you picked... All the choices you may throw the whole game don't fucking matter. What did you pick? I do. You know, you know me. I picked the girl. <laughs> fuck you know me. Fuck, fuck that town, dude. Fuck that town. Think I'm gonna sacrifice my time powers for your stupid town? Half of them were rapists. Fuck that town, dude. Yeah, Arcadia, right? Oh, fuck Arcadia, dude. But no, seriously. Like the ending of that game, you had two choices. You go back in time, let Chloe die. And then none of your choices matter because nothing you ever did happen. Or you let the hurricane destroy the town, which means none of your choices matter because everyone you saved or did anything towards is dead because of the fucking hurricane. <laughs> oh, what a dumb game, dude. I, I, also, I, I thought like that <laughs> that decision was unnecessary. It was such a dumb game because like it makes all make all the choices you make not matter. <laughs> Beyond that, I just think like everybody's going to choose Chloe. At the end of the day, like, <laughs> fuck Arcadia, man. Like, you, you have been... Because that's the thing. Like, you're mentioning, like, you, you have saved all these people across the game. But at least from what I remember, and I played recently, because I played straight back-to-back, like, um, Life is Strange 1 and 2. Like... Uh, There's a true... Oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah and it's fucking oh, awesome. God. Um, I don't know but at, at, at the end of the day, like, those people that you saved across the game, like, they're like... No. Okay. They're like man, <laughs> they're okay, they're but like the the one that you have been saving the whole time is Chloe. So I think if if you're dumb enough to choose like Arcadia over the one character that actually you have been interacting the whole fucking game, then what the fuck, dude? <laughs> what are you doing? Because it's dumb. The choice like that you say, hey, everything else you've done in the game doesn't include Chloe, and there's some stuff. There's Warren. There's Katie. There's all the other Victoria. Yeah. Okay, those characters doesn't fucking matter because fuck you that's why <laughs> no they, they were shitty people at the end wow. of the day and like <laughs> wow there's some strong feelings here man yeah, yeah because man. i hate when a game comes to me and goes hey i had the same feelings over mass effect 3 i just mellowed out of time oh actually strange is more recent but like when a game like it, it turns to me and say hey everything you did all these hours you invested in this world they don't fucking matter because they're gonna go back to the past and rewrite everything or you're gonna get the city get destroyed, and everyone you interact with is gonna be dead. So it's like they, they never did anything to them because they won't exist in the future. Yeah, it's, you have some some strong opinions, man. It's but, not, I'm sorry, Life is Strange is such a like. It, it, but you should play also, too. Also, the way the characters talk, like nobody fucking says Hella. Get the fuck out of here, you're fucking Hella, Chloe. Don't well, fucking don't fucking Hella me, Chloe. You can say oh, that, but Stafford says yellow. And that's kind of similar. Look, Stafford, if you, if you ever say, come to me and say this is hella cool, I'm going to laugh at your face. I'm sorry. I'm going to make the, the Rocket Raccoon laugh in Guardians of the Galaxy. Man. <laughs> People but... don't talk like that. Sure, dog. 
But I think you know, bro, this is hella cool. <laughs> I think you should play Life is a Strange too. I don't know if I, I don't know about that one, Chief. No, yeah, um, like it's it's a story of so. Yeah, I don't know how to spoil it or not, but so pretty much like the game is two new, new like a new protagonist. This protagonist doesn't have power. His younger brother has the power this time, but he's not time traveling. He's kind of like. Uh, how do you call when you move things with your mind? Uh, telekinesis? Oh, telekinesis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, the, the yeah, I'm going to spoil the beginning of the game. Fuck it. So, the, the curious thing is, like, these two guys are uh, second generation Mexicans, and his dad owns, like, a garage uh, repair shop, whatever. So, they get into an argument with this bully that is, like, uh, mocking them, or, like, that is, uh, I think. I think the little brother like paints his teacher and is beating up the, the younger brother, uh, and then he gets into an argument with the older one, and finally the the younger one awakens his powers and accidentally kills him. But then like the police arrives and as always like the Mexicans are the suspects and uh, so they kill the dad uh, because they feel threatened. Like the, this police guy feels threatened and he shoots the the dad. So it's kind of like uh, how do you call this like a, a road story of these two brothers and finding themselves and kind of like supporting each other and kind of like getting along for the first time in their life because now they only have each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And for sure, I can tell you that like, it's at the end of the, the game, it's not that decision of like, fuck Arcadia or fuck um, uh, Chloe, you know? It becomes, yeah, yeah, it, it brings more options. And the final, like, whether you get one final or the other, like it's completely different and it's like a whole thing that is rewarding at the end, you know, of all the things that you have been playing along because the whole interaction with the brother and have you, because you pretty much at, at that moment as his older brother, you become kind of like a paternal figure. So everything you teach to the younger brother and every dialogue that you say uh, reflects on his behavior at the end of the game, you know? So if like you have Clementine. been- Like Clementine on Walking Dead. Yeah, sort of. So I, I think it, like you, if you were were going to give another chance to Life is Strange, I will say like play the second game. The reason why I'm so passionate about Life is Strange is that I actually enjoyed like the first like three chapters of that game. Like I feel like the the characters were like the the, the, the plot twist of the teacher being the, the the teacher being the kidnapper. Oh yeah, obvious was pretty good. It was pretty interesting and unique. I liked it. Even though it was like fucking obvious as fuck. It was a nice little thing they added. The, the the stepdad character from Chloe was also like he was like really. He was like not a black and white character. They were really well done. There were well done things in Life is Strange. It's just that they decided to shit the bed at the like minute five of the ending. You know, it's like not that different from Mass Effect Three, which has a, pretty much a lot of like really interesting moments, and then it just throws Star Child at you and say, "Hey, all the choices you made, they don't fucking matter." Yeah, I, I I I see your point, and and I agree at some at some point, but I just think like when they got the opportunity of making it right on let's say season two of Life is Strange or Life is Strange two, like they took it and they actually made something cool, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think it's is kind the, of is the dialogue still cringy? Um, That's a big thing. <laughs> well, do people still say hella cool? Uh, is there a kid? Is there a kid that keeps inviting you to watch Godzilla? I, I don't. I, I don't remember if there's like helicals or there's like. Uh, okay, 
So it's like like it's a life is a strange game, you know. So from time to time, like there's like this like for example, let's say there's a hippie guy that is going to say like oh peace brother or something like some stupid shit like that, you know. But I don't think that takes away the experience of the game. Remember when you play Life is Strange one and there's that moment where you walk into Victoria's room or whatever her name was, I think it's Victoria, and she has a flat screen TV and if you click it, Max's reaction is just plug the Final Fantasy movie. Oh yeah, that's like the funniest for me. Man, that's a really awesome TV. It would be really good if I could watch Final Fantasy Spirit Within on it. It was such an underrated piece of movie. It was so funny. Anyway. Alright, I think that's enough for today's episode. I think we... we, we I think Stafford, I feel like we, we acquired. Do you have anything you want to talk about? Do you have any examples of bad storytelling you want to throw out there for us to finish? Um, I don't know. Bad storytelling? Nothing specific comes to mind, but... I probably just blacked out all the bad stories that um, <laughs> that I should probably that's it. Is yeah. So maybe yeah. we should say goodbye with just one recommendation of one video game or something. Yeah, Tiger King. Go play it. Pretty good. Sure. For fuck's sake. <laughs> God fucking damn it. No, go ahead, Rodrigo. Oh, I'm thinking about so. it. Do you guys go first? Go go ahead, Steph. Recommend a video game. All right. Um, I've got to recommend it's it's a series, okay. but specifically I will say you can skip the the middle one. Um, it was before Ubisoft was evil. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> you know uh, I don't know is any is anybody uh, guessing it yet? It's um, a Prince of Persia series. Prince of per- oh, that's classic. That from Ubisoft. Yeah. So you can skip the middle one because the middle one was so like it, it was a, it was a dark it. it was it was okay. Well, you know, um, it's because you're not playing. Prince of Persia. The, um, the middle anyway. one is the Arenas of Time, or, or which is the middle one? You mean Sands of Time? Um, yeah, Sands so of Time. It's Sands of, there's Sands of Time is the first one, Warrior Within is the middle one, and then Two Thrones is the third one. Prince of Persia, Two Thrones or something? Um, yeah, you, the middle one, they basically, so like the, the first one, they introduced this really interesting, like, Arabian kind of heavy metal style with, like, the music and the feel, and, like, it was this kind of really interesting... Um, like, like specifically the music, I would say, was probably really, really interesting. And then the gameplay was really good, and the story was really cool. Um, and then in the second one, they were like, no, we're just, everybody wants dark and edgy, so we're going to go screw the Arabian theme. It's all heavy metal. It's like heavy metal music, and like the, the female villain is wearing like boob plate that's super spiky and black, and she's got chain whips because we're so metal, and the prince is gonna only talk in like this gravelly voice and he's got this really bad haircut and everything sucks for him because his life is terrible and he's super metal yeah i I think and they realized that was a really bad decision because it was bad and then in the third game they go back to this feel of like this very like arabian still with the metal influence but it's actually this like a style that isn't just and uh they what i thought was really interesting is playing through it in pretty rapid succession, the because I uh, yeah the second one again meh but the last line of the third game is the first line from the first game, and it all ma- and it all makes sense like it tracks and it's this really beautiful like interwoven story about like time and and how weird timey wimey wibbly wobbly stuff and it's amazing super good yeah. Also, now that you were mentioning that about like the metal and everything, I think there was a time in that moment where everything and and i mean everything music wise and 
also films like everything it was not metal like per se let's say but it was like super edgy of like oh it has to have mm -hmm. spikes and it has to be like dark and super dark and uh super grungy voices and like you you even saw it in like the harry potter movies and you were like what the fuck am i watching now uh but yeah like i i think like we criticize a lot of like the 80s or the 90s for example for comic books when they were coming up oh everybody's using like uh jeans um jacket or denim uh, jackets or, or that kind of shit you know but like people don't realize that 10 years ago or 20 years uh, ago like also we went through our cringy phase of like oh we're so dark and yeah. we're so edgy you know yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 arthur i think that's it is it's 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 the like there's a time for each generation where that happens where there's just like probably about a five-year time period where every generation has that thing that they go through where everything's dark and edgy and spikes <laughs> And, spikes. and then you look back and it's like, oh man, that was bad. <laughs> it always involves the spikes. Hey, That's the thing. Hey, hey, hey. You don't attack the punk rock movement. <laughs> you leave Flea alone. See, but it's not punk rock. You leave That's, Flea alone, Stafford. That's not actually Stafford. punk rock. Sure, dog. Hey, sure. punk rocker, tell us one recommendation. Uh, one, one game recommendation? Uh, why not Outer Worlds? Uh, if you're interested on a video game that has good storytelling, has decisions, but also has gameplay on it, it's Obsidian's new game. It's a spiritual succession to Fallout New Vegas. Outer Worlds is pretty great. Pretty fun game. 10 out of 10. It's an RPG. It has an interesting, it has a unique world. Outer Worlds is what I say when I say I need new stuff, more unique stuff. That's Outer Worlds right there. It's a triple A new IP. Fair enough. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Just do it. Just go play Outer Worlds. Go give Obsidian all your money. Let it make more games, please. Please and thank you. <laughs> uh, what, what's your recommendation, Rodrigo? I have the, um, two quick recommendations. So the first one is since they released it just, I think, a week ago or two, and I've been crazy playing it beyond Doom, uh, Persona 5 Royale uh, is just like... It's kind of like Persona 5, but they added like more stuff and more intricate stuff to the story, the gameplay. It's, it's kind of like, so Persona 5 is the basis and they reworked everything. So it's even fucking better for Persona 5 Royale. So uh, if, if you haven't played it, like go now and play it. It's fucking awesome. Like the soundtrack is great. The aesthetics are great. The characters are great. The story is fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. And, and just kind of like tying down to the conversation we were having about XCOM and you making your own story just based in the gameplay. Um, I would recommend like something that has kept me sane uh, in quarantine. Even if I'm not suffering, if you see it <laughs> in other episodes of Mosebike, I'm super chill. But something if you want to waste a lot of hours and like it's going to be so rewarding, uh, you should play Cruz... No. <laughs> Fuck Tiger King at this point. <laughs> we should... <laughs> We should actually do like a Tiger King special Tiger King uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, just, just for you to like oh, get it out of your system. But can we get Joe Exotic? <laughs> I don't think so, man. I think he's that. I think that dude is in jail, but <laughs> we can try. Uh, record from jail. This has been done before. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so the, the recommendation that I'm also giving is Crusader Kings Two. So nice. in Crusader King Kings Two, you can play as a Dutch, a king whatever the fuck you want. Like you can start even in a small duchy and work your way up through dynasties to create your you whole dynasty. Crusader. You can play as a crusader if you want. Yeah, you can play as a crusader, in fact. Um, or and... in the name. 
and I'm so into this fucking game. Like easily in my Steam account, I have like three thousand hours, uh, so it's pretty addictive. And probably within this year or next year or soon, I hope because I, I have been following the development diaries. Crusader Kings three is coming, and it's going to be fucking awesome. So that's my recommendation for this episode of Boost Mike. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on our Moose Mike episode about video games and storytelling. We will see you in the next two weeks. Stay safe. Stay six foot apart, people. Have a good time. See ya. See ya.